Welcome to Practical Christian Living. With conviction, it's different than condemnation. When we judge, we usually condemn people. That's what judgment does, right? You condemn people. We don't usually use a position of judgment to acquit someone. We use it to condemn them. But God convinces, and with that convincing comes an encouragement. Lord, I really want this out of my life. I really want to change. I really want to be the man you want me to be. Conviction brings with it the promise of forgiveness and the desire to do what is right in Christ. God's love encourages us to be the man or woman of God that He wants us to be. The book of Romans says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary Tucson, with part two of our message out of James chapter 4, verses 11 through 17. I've said it so often, but it's worth repeating. If I'm going to be judged by the way I treat people, by the way I judge people, then I want to be really nice to you. I want to be really nice to everybody because I want God to be as merciful to me as God can possibly be. Don't you? Is there anybody here who could say otherwise? Is there anybody here who goes, no, I want God to be the hardest judge on me that he could possibly be? I'm just curious, anybody? Maybe there is, I don't know. Sometimes people have weird thoughts. Maybe you, you think that. I don't. I want God to pour his grace upon me and his mercy upon me. He says, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at a speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? That's a pretty funny picture that Jesus pulls up here. Guy's got a plank, a board sticking out of his eye. Let me get that speck out of your eye. Watch out! Board flying around protruding out of a guy's eye. He says there's this obvious hypocrisy. And Jesus now, here in this passage, as he's talking about judgment and motives, he now turns to that hole where we can all of a sudden be sin sniffers, when we're the gospel Gestapo, when we want to run around and look at you got this sin in your life and you got that sin in your life and you got this sin in your life, trying to, to get everybody else straightened out. And it's a pretty ugly thing. I think there's enough in our lives for us to make sure that we're walking with Jesus the way that we're supposed to, to keep us busy and to keep us out of other people's business. In the New Testament over and over again, near the end of the letters, the authors, Paul and others, would write not to be a busybody, just out there in everybody else's business. So Jesus says, get rid of the plank in your own eye. And then verse four, or how can you say to your brethren, let remove the speck in your eye and look, there's a plank in your own eye, hypocrite. First, remove the plank in your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You'll be a lot more merciful, too, because you had a plank in your eye, and he had a speck in his eye. And so when you see a speck, you're going to go, don't worry about it. I see this. I can help you out with it. I used to have a plank in my eye. You got a speck in your eye. You're a whole lot better off. It's humble, right? It's a humble thing. When you've evaluated yourself, when you know who you really are, when you're not pretending, I'm better than you, I'm more spiritual than you. When you're not, all that stuff's put aside. And so Jesus goes on to say then in verse 6, do not give what is holy to the dogs. That's, let's go back to, um, to James. 
So James now wants to talk a little bit about judging, even as Jesus did. And so he says in verse 12, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? That's a good question. Who am I to set in judgment in the life of someone else? The answer to that is nobody. A while ago, we were a regional church for Arizona for many years, and there's, there's a regional pastors now, and I'm on a board of men that are regional over the area. A while back, a couple guys called me that were out of our region. There was something going on. There was a conflict between the Calvaries in the area, and I knew one of them. So I had been, my name had been brought up. Now, I'm on a board for the region of Arizona and New Mexico and Texas. It's kind of the southwestern region, but I'm not on a board in, in this area. And so they send me this, this long letter, all three of these guys explaining their position. And I, and I read about half of it. And then I finally called them. And I said, listen, the whole tone of your letter, I just want you to know something. I, I have nothing to do with this. You guys don't have to explain anything to me. You guys are explaining all this to me. I, you don't have to explain anything to me. I'm no one. I'm nobody. I have no desire. Because at the end of the letter, they had said, if this isn't enough for you, we'd like to get together and explain more to you. So you don't have to explain anything to me. I don't want to be, I don't want to be responsible over the area I'm responsible over. Much less the area that I'm not responsible over. It's like, who am I? Who am I to judge anybody? Look, I have a hard enough time doing my own thing. I just want to do my own thing. And who am I to sit in judgment over someone? Romans 14, there's a statement that goes the same, and along the same lines. It says that one man puts one day above other, another day. Another man sees every day alike. They had the conflict of what day to worship on early in the church, just like there is today. You have seven-day Adventists, people who think you ought to worship on Saturday or Sunday. And he talks about that in their day. One guy says one day's better. Another guy says all days are the same. And then he says, who are you to judge another man on, on what day they worship? Who are you to tell somebody what day they ought to worship on? Who are you to tell somebody whether or not they can eat meat or not? Who are you to go to someone's life and say, this is what you ought to do as a Christian. This is what I'm doing. This is what you ought to do as a Christian. We all have enough trouble just to deal with ourselves and walk before God in integrity without running around, pointing our finger and telling other people what they ought to be doing. The answer to the question from James, who are you to judge anyone? The answer is nobody, nobody. I just want mercy in the end <laughs> and I want to give mercy. And here's what I know. And I love that Romans 14 says this as well. It says, who are you to judge him? He stands and falls before God. And then he throws this in. God's able to make him stand. God's able to come into his true child and bolster him up and work those things out. God has a way through the Holy Spirit of reaching out and touching our hearts and bringing conviction. And conviction is a convincing that something that we're doing is wrong. When I point my finger at someone and say, you're got this and you need to be doing that, it lacks conviction. It's full of condemnation. When God convicts, you know what it's like. Maybe you're under the conviction of God right now. God just touches your heart. He convinces us that it's wrong. And with conviction, it's different than condemnation. When we judge, we usually condemn people. That's what judgment does, right? You condemn people. 
We don't usually use a position of judgment to acquit someone. We use it to condemn them. But God convinces, and with that convincing comes an encouragement. Lord, I really want this out of my life. I really want to change. I really want to be the man you want me to be. I really want to change. There's an encouragement to do the things. When you're under condemnation, it's, it's discouraging. I'm going to quit. I'm no longer going to be a Christian. I failed over and over again. No wonder Paul wrote in Romans 8, 1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Jesus said, the son of man did not come to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved by him. He came on a mission to convince and to bring into his family, to love and to forgive. And then here's his church. We have the keys of the kingdom and we're going to judge you now. We're places to judge us. We're going to tell you what you can do and what you can't do. Oh, just humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Know who you are. And you're not a judge. And who are you to judge another? Verse 12 says. And then he says, come now. Another way to humble ourselves. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city. We will spend a year there, buy and sell and make no profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now your boasting is in arrogance and all such boasting is evil. That Remember, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Don't speak evil against one another. Then he has a clear thought about speaking evil and how you put yourself in a place of a judge over them when you do. And now he brings another thought about humbling yourself before the Lord. And that is the arrogance that I hear from God and I know what God wants. I don't think that we should ever say, I have heard from God. I think what we should say is I believe I have heard from God. And there's a world of difference between I have heard from God and I believe I have heard from God. Because if I say I believe I heard from God, then I'm telling you there's a chance I'm wrong. I believe it, but I could be wrong. And there's just that little insert of that word is a humble thing. The Lord gives us the gift of prophecy, where all of a sudden God gives you a word for someone else. Well, over the years, I've had a lot of words that were, were given to me. One guy came up to me. This was like in 1987. Thus says the Lord, he declared, your church will be gone in six months. Well, that's like, that's like tossing a softball to me. Because here's what I said. Will you come back in six months? And if we're gone then you know your word was right. But if we're still here, then you know you're a false prophet and you have to repent. I mean, when you, when you give a word like that, it's pretty easy to tell whether or not he's a false prophet, right? Whether or not he was hearing from God. Thus says the Lord, this church will not be here in six months. I don't know what it's been, 27 years? <laughs> or 20-something, you know, 25 years? Something like that, since he said that? Pretty confident he was a false prophet. And I've had people tell me all kinds of things, come up with all kinds of messages. Some of them I've received. I want to be open to what God does. I want to be open to the, the gifts of the Spirit. I don't want to be closed. And when someone comes and says, 
hey, I believe God told me this to tell you. I say, thank you. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to consider it. The Bible says let one prophesy and let the others judge. And so now I'm going to judge it. Then they'll go, no, you're going to judge me. I'm not judging you. I'm judging your prophecy. You could be right. You could be wrong. We can all make mistakes. I'll ask you again. Is there a person here who, can't, who doesn't make mistakes? Just wondering. One guy declared to me after making a, giving me a thus says the Lord, I am never wrong, he told me. I said to him, what does your wife say? And I did say that to him. What does your wife say? Because I wonder if your wife thinks you're never wrong. So that we say, I, I don't know whether I'm hearing from God. Listen, I don't know whether I'm hearing from God on a lot of things. When, you're, when you have to make a decision, do I take this job? Do I hand in a resignation here? Do, I, do we move to this city? Do we retire now? Do we work for another five years? When we have to make those kind of decisions, all we can do is pray through them and make a prayerful decision and say, Lord, I believe this is what you want from me. And if it's not, or what for me, if it's not, would you show me? Because here's the thing that we don't know. If I say to you, we at the church have a five-year plan. And in five years, we're going to have a facade built on the outside of our church. And it's going to be pretty from the street. I think we could win ugliest church from the road. <laughs> ugliest church in, in the United States. I think we could win that. Bothers me a little bit, but not so much. <laughs> the, the inside's nice. That's really how it should be, right? Not outward beauty, but inward beauty. It's really what should matter. But if I said, our five-year plan is to have two more served. Our five-year plan. And people say to me sometimes, so tell me, what's your five-year plan? Look, I don't even have a plan for next week. <laughs> I don't have a five-year plan. Never had a five-year plan. Ever at the church did we ever have a five-year plan? Just trying to get through the next service. Just trying to get through the next week. Just looking at what, what do I got to teach? It's when I'm done here. It's like, okay, where are we going to be at next? What do we got to take care of? What are we doing? We sit down in our staff meeting. We look at the week. Then maybe, maybe we look a couple weeks out. Maybe we talk about Christmas or, or Easter a little bit. But there's no, there's no year plan. There's no five-year plan. The rest of the staff will attest to this as well. We're hanging on by the skin of our teeth. <laughs> just saying, let's just make it through this next week and try to minister to the people that God has given us to care for. When we say, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Guy wanted to go out to lunch with me. And... Uh, you know, just he wanted to be a pastor. He's going to a place to start a church. And he said, God told me that the church that I'm going to pastor will be 5,000 people. Immediately, I just wanted to leave the lunch. How do, you, how do you know anything? How do you know whether you'll be alive tomorrow? If there's anything I'm learning, it's that life is short. And none of us are guaranteed another moment. So how can we say, this is going to be, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go this in this place and I'm going to do this. There were several things this guy says, right? He, he makes up an imaginary person. He says, verse 13, come now you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such city and spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit. Then his point, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? That's another question. James is full of just these little questions. These little 
piercing questions. Who are you to judge another? And what is your life? He's not asking, what's the value of your life? He's not asking, what's the meaning of life? He's asking me as I'm reading this, Robert Furrow, what is your life? Well, my life is, is a period of time that God's given me to live here on this earth, hopefully to do what God's called me to do, hopefully not to make a mess of things, to take his grace and his mercy and try to use the short time that I have to be able to do God's work. That's my life. So your question, what's your life? Well, my life's been given to me to hopefully provide for my family and to shine as a light for Jesus or to care for my kids and really see them come to, what's your life? Is our life for us to go out and do these, these grand things that we're proclaiming? Or do we humble ourselves by simply saying, Lord, if it's your will, then can we get a facade on the front of the church so it looks better from the road? <laughs> and God goes, nah, I got other things for you to do. All right, fine. Lord, is it, what's your will? He goes on to say, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. I uh, probably just can't go over this verse without sharing a little bit. This Wednesday, so it's really yesterday date-wise, but this corresponding Wednesday, I taught that Wednesday night. I was teaching on and off, having people come in and teach for me because Lisa was sick and the cancer had returned and it returned hard. And I came and I taught that Wednesday night and I drove home and she left me the last message as I was driving home on my, on my phone. And by that Saturday, she went to be with the Lord. And more than ever now, I know that life is but a vapor. When I taught on that Wednesday service, she was kind of going downhill, but she'd gone downhill and kind of up and down and up and she had done all right. I, I thought a year, maybe, if, God, if God's gonna take her, maybe a year, maybe nine months. And it was much, much shorter than I ever thought. I had no idea that her life would be gone within a few days. How, how do we know that our time isn't almost up. Our life's like a vapor. It's here one moment and gone the next. And I understand that now better than I ever have. Maybe because you've gone through this with me. Maybe you've got a better understanding. Maybe just experiences. Maybe you knew it long before I knew it more. So because of experiences that you've gone through as we each face death and struggles and difficulties and we realize that life is short. When we're young, we think that life will go on forever. I'm thankful for the 30 years that I had with Lisa. She was 19 when we got married. I was 21. It's funny, we thought we were all old and mature. Now I look at 21-year-olds and 19 and think, what are you doing? You gonna get married? Are you kidding me? But 30 years, marriage, and then all of a sudden, the life is, is done. It's a vapor. It appears for a little time, it says in verse 14. And then it vanishes away. 
Instead, you ought to say, this is the humble thing to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this and do that. It's not that you don't make plans. It's not that you don't look to say, Lord, I want to be as effective with you as I can, but you should always throw in if the Lord wills. It's just a, it's, it's an attitude of submission unto God. It's a prideful thing to say, I'm going to go and do this and I'm going to go do that and I'm going to do, <laughs> what is your life? You don't even know. You can't even do it. You don't even know what you've got. You're going to have tomorrow. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. It's like saying, I believe the Lord spoke to me. I believe the Lord told me. It's an attitude of humility. We're just being helped here on how to have that attitude of humility that allows God to be able to lift us up that we can do what God has called us to do. So instead, we should say, if the Lord wills, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there. And we shall live and do this. But now you boast in your arrogance and all such boastings is evil. It's an evil thing because it's an attitude of a lack of faith. It's an attitude of a lack of trust. It's an attitude that I have control over my life and it's not really God that has control over my life. And if anything is true, it's that I don't have control over it and that God does. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And so he points out, that when we know what we ought to do and we don't do it, that's sin. Sin is not just when we do something bad, but when we know the good that we should do, we withhold that, that is sin as well. Lord, help us that we would have a humble attitude, that we would not speak evil of one another, that we would find ourselves humbly in front of people, lifting them up, even putting their interests above our own interests that God can lift us up. That's really the encouragement that we find from James in this passage. And it's a pretty great encouragement. Stand with me, would you? Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you as we take time to look at the words of James. And Lord, forgive us when we have manipulated a situation to make it look like somebody else did something wrong. Forgive us when we have spoken evil, slanderously, of brothers in Christ, or even of those at work who are, are not Christians. Forgive us when we've, we have bore false witness and we see that, that you are not pleased with that, that as men and women who are followers of Christ, as those who are to love as you want us to love, the last thing that we would do is assassinate someone's character or to say something falsely that would make someone look bad to someone else. And we thank you that you are merciful. We thank you that as, as we talk about these things, that your spirit brings us to the place where, where we can be forgiven. But we pray that we would trust in you completely. And Lord, forgive us for the arrogance of our lives and the plans that we make, not knowing what we have left. We, we don't know. You haven't told us. Can we just take the days that we have, whatever they are, and may you be glorified in them. May you be exalted and lifted up as we walk humbly before you, not judging one another, just humbly walking before our God. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.